You're listening to Zen Sandwich, a podcast for the independent mind and anyone who embraces life despite its absurdities. Join former attorney and professor turned Japanese papermaker Mark Reed each week as he talks with creative, inspiring, and influential people, or as he shares his own research to help make your world a little better today than it was yesterday. When I started Zen Sandwich two and a half years ago, I, I knew back then, of course, that it would likely evolve. I tried to purposely leave the door open for that. And, and while the concept of Zen, loosely defined, has been a thematic backdrop of most episodes, I always cast the net wide on the different stories and personalities and occupations of the people I have interviewed. With that said, and having branched out somewhat wildly in the, in the beginning, with flamboyant artists, MMA fighters, even a Playboy Playmate of the Month at one point. Now in my third season, I feel like I've gravitated toward a more particular type of person to interview. And that's this. People who seem to embody Zen without even trying or talking about it. Jeff Eichler fits the bill here precisely. He is an author, a podcast host, a leadership coach, and while he might not list it on a resume or on his LinkedIn bio, he is perhaps a Zen master, or at least he plays one on TV or something uh, like that. Uh, I don't know if he accepts or, or wants that moniker, but here we are. In short, Jeff embodies curiosity. That is, in fact, the name of one of his podcasts, Getting Unstuck, Cultivating Curiosity, which in a sense is what Zen is, and that is to observe the world with a childlike curiosity. He joins me now from New York, New York, one of my hometowns, one I claim, uh, one of many that I claim. Uh, welcome and good morning for you, uh, Jeff Eichler. Mark, so good to be here. Thanks for uh, uh, putting me on this side of the mic. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It is fun as a podcaster to be interviewed, right? Because so much we're always doing the prep work for it. But, you know, when you get to be interviewed, you kind of just show up, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm ready. There you go. Well, I'm glad you're ready because I know that you're a curious fella and appreciate curiosity. So I'm going to conduct this interview in a way which you might not be able to predict, thus provoking your curiosity as to where it might go next. Uh, so I might bounce around a bit is what I'm trying to say, because uh, there's so much to Jeff Eichler, as I have learned. Nevertheless, let's start with the theme of curiosity itself. I heard a conversation you had with Melissa Hughes in which you said that you find so many people go through their day just going through the motions, sort of mindless and lack curiosity. Why? Why do you suppose that happens to us? Why do we lose our childlike curiosity? You're right. I mean, we all know people like that. Uh, maybe someone listening feels that way. Why does it happen? More importantly, how do we get out of it? How do we find our curious self again? So great, great question. Um, I think. I think we begin to lose our curiosity um, in some areas of our education because of how of how K twelve education is is largely conducted in the United States. And you know, I've been involved in education for almost fifty years, and it becomes a lot of here learn this as opposed to what are you what are you in, interested in learning? You know, we. I'm not going to make too broad a generalization here, Mark, but um, 
there are school districts that do focus on student agency, but a lot of them, a lot of them, frankly, don't. And I think it's it's gradually just wrung out of kids, if you will. Yeah. I think I think when we're adults, I read something very interesting about why adults are why they may lack curiosity, especially in conversations. And this is where it comes up for me. A lot of times I find myself um, asking questions of curiosity to people that I've met, um, maybe in social situations. And I'm an introvert. So this is really a challenge for me, but I'm, but I'm, I am curious. And what I find oftentimes, Mark, is that people don't reciprocate. They're not asking, they're not asking me questions about right. me even even like okay that's me jeff what why do you do x you know so one of the reasons i started cultivating curiosity was really to uh put guests in front of people who might help us think differently about things that we either know think we know or completely new situations so in your in your coaching then do you sort of identify when someone kind of lacks that curiosity and what do you do to, well, to cultivate their curiosity? How do you, you, you just tell them like, ask me more questions or. Yeah. So if, if the questions that I'm asking uh, don't work, aren't, aren't breaking through what I've done in, in some cases is say, what's a question I should be asking you right now. Ah, okay. So I, I, I turn the table, if you will, because a lot of times, especially in the early stages of coaching, um, people are afraid to open up. There's a uh, an unrecognized fear of opening up too much. Their, their psyche is withholding it, if you will. So, um, I mean, we gradually get there. I liken it to an onion, you know, where you're <laughs> peeling back the layers right. of, of, of gradually what, getting at what it is that's that's holding people back from leading the, the life that they want to leave. Mm. Well, uh, curiosity a lot of times leads to creativity and you are also a writer. You co-authored the book shifting how school leaders can create a culture of change, which folks can find on Amazon. Um, but you also have a passion for writing screenplays too, right? Yeah. I, I, I haven't penned one in a while, but I, I was very active in that area for, for a while. And it's, for me, it's a very, uh, energizing endeavor because screenwriting uh you you have to be able to write a story tell a story within 90 to 120 minutes because nobody is you know unless you're a um hmm. you know a highly rewarded uh, film director or writer you're not going to get people to sit that long so it's very challenging to construct a story that that runs about 90 minutes and in screenwriting um, every page that you type is usually transferred to one minute on film. So if you're if you're writing 90, 90 yeah. pages, you know this film is going to be roughly 90 minutes. Yeah, that um, I, I interviewed someone, an author who wrote a book that weighed in a little over 400 pages. And he he asked he didn't ask me to write a screenplay for it, but he he wants to turn it into a screenplay, potentially a movie. And he asked me my thoughts because I had read the book before I interviewed him. And I said, well, you know, you're going to have to trim like like 80 or 90 percent of the whole book. You know, I said, you're going to have to focus on the dialogue and the action stuff. You know, like you've got to see this as a movie. So all these descriptive passages you have, they're wonderful if you're reading them. 
but as for to make it a movie, you've got to make it move and fast. And, you know, yeah, he started to get an idea of like just how much he would have to ax out of out of that original manuscript. And it would be a lot. Like, yeah. yeah. So is that why you but yeah, my question really is more like, why do you like writing in that format? Be because of that, because of that sort of I say it's a limitation, but uh, the, a quick tangent and then it'll help highlight the the uh, the question. So I like writing haiku and you probably know that haiku yeah, is a is yeah. a five, seven, five format poem. Right. And when I was a kid and I learned what haiku was, I thought like. How dumb. It's just five, seven, five. That's easy. And then now that I'm an adult, I realize like it's super difficult because you're trying to convey, a, you know, a, a, an emotion in a five, seven, five format and you want it to speak in that short frame. So I actually kind of enjoy the that the parameters of writing a haiku. Is that what you find appealing about screenwriting? Oh, two stories. One, um, I finally got a guest to come on the show because I, I wrote a haiku <laughs> about how she could engage uh, my audience. She had initially said yes, but it, it kept getting pushed off. And she was really somebody I wanted on the show because um, she's she's very unusual in that she is a she's a fly fisher. Um, and you know, fly fishing tends to be or has tended to be a man's world, and she's right. been very, very successful. And I wanted her to come on because she has a lot to say to young girls and to women. So finally, I just wrote a haiku to her and she <laughs> and we got it scheduled. But yes, I love the screenwriting format because of the constraints. I tend to be somebody who likes to know parameters to to work within certain um, within certain constraints. But now, Mark, I'm actually in a in a new venture. I'm trying to work on a memoir. And hmm. there is no single format for memoir. Right. And it's it's very interesting. It's very challenging. But I'm, it's very engaging because it makes me think about uh, what I know and don't know about my past. <laughs> yeah, it's, it almost seems like doing a memoir is in the other direction of a screenplay, whereas you, where you're like, it's almost like stream of consciousness type stuff. Like, you know, let me just spill out what I'm thinking and feeling right now. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, there are, there are gaps in memory. Everybody's got them. And I'm gradually learning. Um, I'm working with a wonderful teacher, gradually learning what you can do when you have to fill that gap, because mm -hmm. without filling the gap, there's going to be part of the story that's lost. And there are legitimate things you can do as a, a memoir writer. Interesting. I want to know about your website. What's it called? I mean, like I, I I have it, I know it, but how do you pronounce it? And where does that word come from? What does it mean? And were you worried that no one could find you because it's a difficult word to pronounce or spell? Uh, great question. So the the my my coaching site and my pod, I can, you can find my podcast there as well. It's called Quetico Quetico Leadership Coaching Quetico Quetico and Quetico is an area. Um, in southwestern Ontario, it's a wilderness canoe park. Okay. And I used to go up there every year in the summer with my teaching buddies and my brother. When school would let out, we would drive up from, because I was teaching in Illinois at the time, we would drive up and we would do wilderness camping and canoeing for a week to 10 days um, in Quetico. And, and 
Quetico was this remarkable area. Um, it was very challenging to uh, sometimes to navigate the waters and challenging to navigate the the portages, which are the the pathways between lakes that you have to carry your canoe and your you know your packs um, over. Mm-hmm. But it was also a, a a a great place for reflection. There were sometimes during the day when the the wind would pick up and you could just you really couldn't be on the water and enjoy it. So we would just lay on the rocks mm-hmm. and and soak up the sun. So. It was a it was a place of challenge and it was a place of reflection and that's what I wanted my coaching to be was a place where people could be challenged and give them an opportunity uh, to to reflect and nice. that's why I aimed at that and you know in hindsight uh, I was enamored by the name but and here it gets back to your first question Mark about um, curiosity I can count on one hand people who have asked me. Why did you name your coaching Quetico? <laughs> really, that's it stood out to me like first thing. <laughs> yeah, and it just it never it rarely comes up. Um, so you have now we've been talking about uh, getting unstuck, cultivating curiosity, but you do have another uh, podcast as well, right? Uh, called Trauma in Schools. T- tell us what that's about. Yeah, so uh, Trauma in Schools. The name of the podcast is. Um, uh, Cultivating Resilience, a whole community approach to alleviating trauma in schools. And I do that with some incredible partners, Um, Dr. Christine Mason, uh, Jesse Kohler, Victoria Romero. And these are all educators. They're all uh, deeply involved in trying to move the dial on alleviating trauma in the schools. And because so many of our kids walk through the doors and they're carrying much more in their backpack than their books. And so uh, we're now into our second season on that. And just an incredible uh, uh, group of guests that we've had on who are working in in different areas. We've talked to school leaders. We've talked to teachers, uh, mental health practitioners, all working to help kids. uh, really tr- trying to shed whatever trauma they've they've had in the past. So that this isn't just like wh- the first thing that popped in my hi- my mind when I saw the <clears throat> the name of the show was like school shootings, things like that. But I mean, th- you're talking about a wide array of traumatic things that might have happened to kids, right? Yeah, there's something called adverse childhood experiences or ACEs. Mm-hmm. And certainly gun violence can be one of those, but this could be abuse in the home. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be um, uh, poverty is is one right. of the causes of of trauma. It could be um, that you really? grew up, that you grew up in a, a split home or didn't didn't have parents for whatever reason. So there are a lot of causes of of student trauma. Yeah, I mean that's stuff that's been around for. I mean. When we were kids, it just wasn't talked about, right? Or wasn't wasn't, ad- wasn't addressed. Yeah, wasn't talked about when I was in teacher education, Mark. Yeah, you know, and uh, if I had if I had known more about trauma and what my kids might have been bringing into the classroom, I I would have been a, a different teacher. Yeah. Well, uh, Jeff, uh, as you know, <clears throat> I know that you know uh, that on my show I try to do a segment called Five Minute Zen. Uh, right. And I try to, you know, 
get some sort of practical advice for the listener. Um, here's the question I have for you. You say on your website that uh, the work you do, not not you, but the person reading it, like the work that people do should be satisfying work. It should be satisfying. It should energize you and and help bring meaning to why you're here, why you're alive, right? How can people do that when if they work in a cube, if they're miserable in a cubicle somewhere, how can they, to go back to the question, how can they find their work satisfying and and energizing and find meaning in that? Yeah, great question. The the big gap that I see, Mark, is that uh we enter work, and this is as true for educated educators as it as it is for people in the corporate world or nonprofit world. We enter those those environments, and we we don't necessarily know what the end the end game is. We don't know what we're trying to accomplish, and what you're trying to accomplish is often fueled by that passion. So I'll stick with I'll stick with education. Um, I was energized by by teaching history and by helping my kids to develop critical thinking because I felt critical thinking was going to be a, a, a very important tool for them when they walk across the stage and get handed their diploma. I wanted them to have more. I wasn't under any illusion that they were going to know history. You know, they weren't going to they weren't going to know it as well as I did, but they yeah. were going to know how to think. And so that that energized me. Good. Yeah. And I, I, I listen to stories of people in business now, and the the purpose of the, of the organization is simply not clear. And so how can you expect people to be passionate if they don't know, uh, you know, where they're rowing their, the, the canoe, the corporate canoe? Yeah, I've worked in corporations before that may have had a mission statement that they went over during orientation but it just seems so vague and you know, like it and just soulless like it just didn't exactly. it, it didn't speak to me you know as a person uh, yeah, um, you should be able to walk up to somebody either in a school or in a business and say what are you here for what are you trying to accomplish and everybody should be able to answer it the same way or similarly well what, what about the person who's working somewhere where they work for that big corporation that gave them a soulless mission statement that they don't really believe in. Should they just start looking for another job or? Well, you got to have personal responsibility. If you're not, if you're not happy, you're not satisfied. Whose responsibility is it? Right. And well, there you go. Um, yeah, you can wait for the organization to develop purpose, <laughs> but you can also work with your colleagues to develop purpose. Oh, that's true. That's the, I, I, you know, the sort of overused quote, but I still like it. The Gandhi quote of like, be the change you want to see in the world. Exactly. Yeah, I uh, I, I do. I st Actually, I, when I get asked, like, why did I start a Zen podcast? I tell people because of that quote, because I would listen to Zen podcasts and they were all boring. <laughs> so I wanted to be the first interest. I, I wanted to be the change I wanted to see in the world. I wanted to be an interesting Zen podcast. Yeah. yeah. So, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Got to well, take uh, personal responsibility. Yeah, no, I love it. I, that's there's your Zen tip, uh, your uh, five minute Zen, folks. Um, Jeff, what are you working on now? What do you? Uh, what would you like people? How can people find you? And what would you like people to know? So again, you can find me at uh, Quetico Leadership Coaching. Okay, and um, I'm, I'll, I assume put that in the notes. Yeah, right? I'll say I'll, I'll link that stuff in the notes. Yeah, and. Uh, just personally, I'm trying to do some writing about 
some very reflective writing about um, a trip I had this earlier this summer when I went to Berlin and the Netherlands and Belgium. And oh, nice. uh, it was a it was a history focused trip and it just really impacted me a lot. So I'm writing about that and I'm devoting two or three podcasts to that as well. Have you, uh, I assume if you were in the Netherlands, you went or you maybe you've been to before the Anne Frank house. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And that was powerful. It is. But I got a serious lecture from another Holocaust survivor about Anne Frank and the Anne Frank house. And it, it really, it changed my thinking, Uh oh. But, but I'm not saying people shouldn't go there. It's impactful. But Anne Frank was one of about 20,000 young kids who were murdered by right. the Nazis. And we we can't forget the other people. There were 107,000 um, uh, Jews from the Netherlands who were interred in concentration camps. Only 5,000 made it out. Yeah. So uh, we can't let her be the symbol, in other words, for for all of the suffering in the Netherlands. Well, I, I agree with that a hundred percent. I mean, I think the obvious reason why she's uh, sort of put on this pedestal or whatever, because she, well, she had this eloquent diary that gave us a glimpse of what day-to-day life was in those circumstances. But And there are other diaries too. That's what's so interesting. Oh, and then see that I didn't know. A lot know. of other diaries. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, see, I, if you, uh, I, this is why I'm glad I had you on. I knew I'd learned something. <laughs> well uh folks that is all go check out tell me the whole name of the the website again quetico leadership coaching leadership coaching.com the, the podcast both of the podcasts are there right and, and that, that's getting okay. unstuck uh cultivating curiosity and the other one right. is called cultivating resilience a whole community approach to alleviating student trauma right Okay, so go to the website and uh, and check out those podcasts. Find out more about Jeff Eichler. Thirty minutes does not do Jeff Eichler uh, justice. And if you are curious to know how you can help Zen Sandwich continue its journey, go to zensandwich.com and find out how you can help this show with either a one-time donation, just a few bucks, helps us pay the bills. Or become a Patreon supporter for as little as three bucks a month. And I'll even send you a handmade postcard on washi. That's Japanese traditional paper that my wife and I make here in Japan. I'll send it to you to wherever you are in the world. Jeff, thank you so much for your time and your curiosity uh, and your Zen mastery. You inspire me, my friend. Uh, so nice to be sitting with you on, on the mic, uh, <laughs> uh, Mark. It's a great show. Um, and I, uh, uh, thank you so much. Thank you.